0: In May of 2020, my daughter graduated from college. She is one of the kids in that generation of the pandemic. She came home for Easter and never left. When it came around to being her graduation, just a few weeks after that Easter break, uh, we felt really sad. Sad that she wasn't going to be able to have a big public graduation, a big celebration with her friends. And so in our sunroom, with the television set through the computer, we did online graduation from the University of Virginia. It wound up being a nice day and it was happier than we imagined it otherwise might be. We had champagne and cake and a huge dinner to celebrate her. But it was only the three of us in our back room celebrating this wonderful and amazing uh, achievement of graduating from college. We've lost a lot in the last two years. One of them, is like that, those kinds of public celebrations where we brought our families together for weddings, for graduations, for baptisms, all of the kinds of celebrations of community that give us so much joy. And all the time I wonder, whenever I see the news, stories about people yelling on airplanes, folks with short tempers, uh, with clerks in stores, people yelling at restaurant hosts and waiters, the stories about the decline of our common good, if those stories about anger and sadness and depression are somehow related to this other story about the loss of festivity in our common life. In 2006, Barbara Ehrenreich, the social critic, wrote a book called Dancing in the Streets. And in that book, long before the pandemic, just a few years after 9-11, she was bemoaning the loss of public celebration, the fact that our capacity for collective joy seemed to be eroding. This is a quote from that book. The capacity for collective joy is encoded into us almost as deeply as the capacity for the erotic love of one human for another. We can live without it, as most of us do, but only at the risk of succumbing to the solitary nightmare of depression. Why not reclaim our distinctively human heritage as creatures, creatures who can generate their own ecstatic pleasures out of music, color, feasting and dance. Our capacity for collective joy has certainly been one of the things that we've lost during the pandemic. And it was one of the things that the ancient Jews lost during the exile. Indeed, Walter Brueggemann makes the point that it was three great public festivals that marked what it meant to be Hebrew in the ancient world. He talks about how Pentecost, Passover, and booths Formed a liturgical triangle for celebrating God's gifts of freedom and abundance. In ancient Israel, each of these festivals worked in very similar ways, although they celebrated different aspects of Jewish life. In all three of them, Jews who could would travel to Jerusalem for the festival. They would leave behind work and the, and the sort of regular lives of home and village, the physical separation between what they knew on an everyday basis and what they were arriving in Jerusalem to do together, created an alternative space for celebration, a place where they could arrive as the scriptures instructed, empty handed so that God might fill their hands with gifts. Brueggemann says the festivals were designed as outpourings of gratitude by Israel. Israel completely lives out the power and generosity of Yahweh in each of these public festivals. Indeed, the gatherings were intended to promote emotions of humility, joy, commonality, and gratefulness, and to remind the Israelites that their community was grounded in God's generosity and their response in gratitude, completely dependent upon a God who gave gifts generously with joy. Now, many ancient cultures held such festivals of gratitude, but these festivals in Israel have always been very interesting for their particularity. In other nations, the people gathered to give their gifts to God in order that the gods might respond with gratitude to the people's praise. And as a response, a happy God might send you rain, an abundant harvest or a military victory. In Israel, these festivals of gratitude work differently. God sent gifts just because that's who God is. The gift giving one, the creative one whose work is constantly coming at us with uh, with these kinds of gifts. So God sends gifts to the people and the people respond with gratitude. So rather than us bearing gifts to gods who will gratefully give us something in return, it's all completely reversed. Brueggemann says it's in these festivals that Israel comes to a fresh realization that its freedom is not its own work, but that is instead a gift gladly given by Yahweh. And so the festivals become a way of entering into a life where all of the kinds of things that worry us, claims and pressures of economic success, et cetera, can all be suspended. And we just dance in the streets, a great communal celebration of gratitude modeled on an alternative community with God as the gift-giving God at the center, one based in great abundance and joy. In ancient Israel, these festivals were a microcosm of how life was always supposed to be, what it was intended to be like when the people of Israel returned to their homes and villages. Can you imagine losing that? Because in the exile, that's exactly what happened. For a generation, a generation and a half, Israel was unable to celebrate in the streets, unable to have these kinds of communal parties, as it were, to remember God's good gifts and to give thanks for them. They were held in captivity. By the waters of Babylon, we wept. The liturgical festivals to remind of an ordinary, beautiful vision of what God was like and how that God continued to give gifts all year, even when you weren't at these special festivals, none of that could be done during the exile and none of it could really be done in the years right after the exile when Israel returned or at least a remnant of Israel returned to Jerusalem. And for these 12 or so years that Nehemiah and Ezra write about, they work at rebuilding the temple and rededicating their community uh, to the law and to the Torah. So they are in a process of putting the pieces back together And that's where today's scripture comes in. When it is all finally accomplished, when they are home, when the temple is rebuilt and Torah is reinstituted, when the community has a place to gather that is a civic space of worship, a reminder of God's presence in their midst, they go back to the thing that they know best. They have a public festival of thanksgiving they return to what it means to be jewish to gather in the streets with singing and dancing and in that act they are remembering at a deep level of what it means to be god's people festivity these plays the, the street play playing these these actions constitute the heart Of the Jewish soul. They missed that for some 60 or 70 or even 80 years before they could go back and do it again. And here we are after two years of a pandemic, and I think we can see the erosion of joy in our lives and what the erosion of joy actually does to a people to a community, and to a culture. This story is, of course, very particular. It is a story out of the history of ancient Israel. And I have to confess, it makes me a little nervous as a Christian to preach on a story that is indeed so close to the heart of the Jews, the the rebuilding of the temple, the recommitment to Torah. But I do have a small story in my own life that also gives me access to it, makes me feel the power of this story in an unusual way. Some 25, almost 30 years ago now, I lived in Santa Barbara, California, and I was part of a church called Trinity Episcopal Church. It was a beautiful church building. It had been built in 1906, designed by the person who would later design the Washington National Cathedral. And by the time I was there, um, almost 90 years later, um, Trinity was in crisis. The state of California had passed a new law that all old buildings, and believe me, that was an old building, needed to be retrofit to contemporary earthquake standards. Well, for some congregations, that might not be so hard. You just go into the endowment, you open the bank account, what have you, and you call in an architect and fix the building. But the problem was this beautiful neo-Gothic building that sat almost 700 or 800 people um, was down to about 60 members. There was hardly anyone left to fix the building through a series of really truly remarkable and surprising events, that small group of people who were left there, the remnant as it were, embarked on an ambitious sort of pathway of renewing their own hearts, of reclaiming the center of their spiritual lives, reaching out to the community through works of justice and charity, and opening their doors to just seeing what kind of church they might be in the future. At first, there was no hope that the building could be saved. But as we began this sort of process of finding ourselves again in God, we realized that our building was actually important, that it was the center of the ministry that we did in that town, and that there was something about that building that, was almost like an icon of who we were on the main street of Santa Barbara. And so this small group of people uh, began an ambitious capital campaign with the unlikely title of With Strength Renewed. It was about two things. It was about the renewing of our own hearts, the renewing of our own souls, and the renewing of the walls of our building where we would try to raise several million dollars to fix this building. 60 people, several million dollars. In three years, we'd done it. We were actually shocked that anyone cared and that we could come up with that much money and that we could employ people to begin that process of strengthening the church walls so that they wouldn't fall down on our heads when we were in there worshiping if there was ever an earthquake. I will never forget the Sunday that we moved back into the building. The congregation waited inside with music playing, And the party, the processional party of the priests and the bishop, everyone who was going to celebrate the rededication of the church, was outside. This is an Episcopal church. There are liturgies for everything. And there does happen to be a liturgy for the rededication of a church. Outside of the building, the bishop had a huge staff. And took that staff and banged it on the closed church doors. And the liturgy began with these words from the bishop. Let the doors be opened. Let the doors be opened. And inside, we, the 500 or so people who had gathered there, willingly opened those doors. As a matter of fact, we practically threw them off their hinges. And when the bishop walked in and the party started process, processing into the church, the music swelled, there was drums, there was organ as if it had never been played before. And people in the church were crying and laughing. And these were Episcopalians. They were actually dancing in their pews. I had never seen anything like it. But when I read these verses in Nehemiah, I realize that although they are so particular to the life of Israel and so important to the heartbeat of what it means to be Jewish, that once upon a time in Santa Barbara, California, I experienced something so very similar that it was like living into this text. I understand what that kind of communal festivity means. I understand what the celebration is. Indeed, in that church in Santa Barbara on the main street of town, we never closed the doors. We used to leave the doors wide open during our worship service and people would walk by the church, hear what was going on and simply wander in is that something happened to us where we rebuilt our walls, but we opened our doors. And in the process Our hearts were made anew. I don't wonder if this isn't exactly what we need now here in our communities, here in the United States. I hear Christians quite a bit talking about the longing for national healing. How can we come back together? Maybe the only way we come back together is by learning to celebrate together again, by having a party, by finding delight and joy and understanding that all of the good that surrounds us all the time, even after the hard work sometimes of having to remember what what is there, the hard work of investing ourselves into lifting up those gifts, the gifts are still there. Sometimes we just have to work to find them. They're there. They can be recovered and we can find our way back towards dancing in the streets. We can do this. It was done once a long time ago in ancient Israel. And I promise you, it was done once 30 years ago in Santa Barbara, California. I was there. That's the truth. We can do it anywhere. Amen.